on Friday, and then again on Saturday, I had the distinct pleasure of attending our Southeastern Pennsylvania Synod Assembly. For those of you who don't know, we're a part of the Southeastern Pennsylvania Synod. It is a collection of about 150 Lutheran churches in Philadelphia and the surrounding suburbs. And so once a year, they get everyone together, every pastor from all those churches, along with a couple of representatives, and we go through some business, and we hear reports, and we make some decisions that we send along to the national church, and we worship together, among other things. And it was a very lovely time to be there. Good to see old friends and new friends. I'm appreciative of the members of Reformation who were there. We were well represented. Um, and thank you, bonus points to those people who are here again this morning. That's a lot of church on a weekend. But I'll admit, I'll admit, there were moments, just a couple, during this two-day gathering of church business, when I got a little bored. Yes, I know, never. I can't believe it either. But it's okay, it's bound to happen, uh, you know, when they... They couldn't figure out how to do the the voting just right, and they didn't have all the ballots that they needed, and we had to go hand them back in and do it again. It it got a little tedious, but it all gave me cause to reflect. Because when you're a pastor, everything has to be thought about the theological implications. And so I was sitting there thinking, I'm a little bit bored right now. I also started to think, well, I've got to have a sermon for Sunday. How could this relate? And I'm struck by the ways that we try to avoid boredom at all costs in 2019. I was looking around the Synod Assembly Room and noticing just how many people were on their cell phones during that meeting. They might have been a little bored like me and they had to get in a quick game of Candy Crush or something. And certainly you go to the DMV, you see everyone on their phones. There's just constantly a way to distract ourselves from the ordinary. We like to avoid the ordinary. We don't want to go anywhere near it. Things need to be special and happening and new and different and exciting at all times. The television shows that are coming out these days are incredible. Million dollar budgets for single episodes. It's unbelievable and it's all meant to entertain us. To keep us away from the ordinary. And so I'd like to speak to you this morning though about the ordinary and why it might actually matter. Why, why it might not be a good thing for us to constantly be distracting ourselves from the current moment. I've titled this sermon, The Importance of the Ordinary. And we will be looking at John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. Please join me in a word of prayer. May the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. All right, so we are looking now at John chapter 21. I invite you to stand if you are able and willing Um, Again, we stand out of reverence for the gospel and the ways that this word of God walks among us and in our presence this morning. Um, And it just, it's a little out of the ordinary, isn't it, to be standing while you read the Bible. See what I did there? All right, this is John chapter 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself 
in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, have you no fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were unable to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put some clothes on, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Thanks for standing. That was a long one to stand for, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And friends, we did it. We've done it. Congratulations. We read four different Bible verses every single Sunday morning, right? Old Testament reading, Psalm, New Testament reading, Gospel passage. But today, we finally done it. We have found the funniest Bible story in all of Scripture. I promise you that. Now, I didn't hear a lot of laughter as we were going through it, and that's okay. We were being reverent and standing for the Lord. But I want to break this down for you now, because there's a bunch of good stuff going on in here that I think you might have missed on the first time through. So, so look at this with me for a second. We've got the disciples, and they have already seen, we know, Jesus raised from the dead. In fact, two times. We, we heard about it last week. First, Jesus appeared to them in the upper room on that first Easter Sunday, And then the next week, Jesus appeared again in that upper room, and this time Thomas was there to see it all happen. So they've had two chances to realize that Jesus is raised from the dead. And you would think, 
you would think that when you had seen, if you had followed Jesus around for three years, and he had predicted that he was going to die and come back from the dead, and then that he actually did it, and you had physical evidence that this had really happened, you would think that maybe afterwards you'd do something really exciting, something really radical, something really important. You'd think that's what the disciples are going to do, but what do they do? What do they do? Peter says, uh, um, I'm going fishing. And that's funny on a couple of levels. One, because it's fishing. And two, because it's what they were doing before. Peter just goes right back to what they've always done. He has seen this incredible miracle and he's like, yeah, that was really nice, but, but I guess I just want to go fishing again. But then you might have missed some of the details because Peter doesn't just go fishing with the disciples. Oh, no, 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 no. Apparently, apparently, Peter goes naked fishing. Did you catch that detail? He goes fishing and he's not wearing any clothes. Now, I don't know the details of it. The commentators haven't given me anything to say about that. But I think the real point here is that the gospel writer is trying to get us to realize that Peter's not quite right in the head at the moment. There's a couple things going on. And I know that there's more going on because look at what happens. They're out there. They're fishing. Peter's not wearing any clothes. Kind of weird. And then they see Jesus on the shore. It's like, hey, have you caught any fish? Try fishing on that side of the boat. Oh my goodness, there's so many fish now. It's got to be Jesus. And how does Peter respond? Peter responds by putting his clothes on and then jumping in the water and swimming to shore. Now that is so bizarre because usually if you're going to jump in the water, you might take off some of your clothing so it doesn't all get wet. But not Peter, not our guy Peter. No, 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 no. Peter, who was fishing naked, puts on all of his clothes in order to jump in the water and swim to shore. Oh, but wait, it gets better because they tell us he was only 100 yards off. Peter gets to shore in his clothing at about the same time that the boat gets to shore. Which makes you wonder, why didn't he just stay on the boat, carefully put his clothes on, and arrive on shore dry and fully clothed? You see, we're supposed to be thinking about what's going on with Peter these days. I want you to hold that thought because we're going to get to it. But all of these details, while funny, also should lead us to wonder... What is going on in this guy's head? He's not quite right at the moment. But I don't want to put all of the emphasis on Peter either. Because some of the things that Jesus does also seem a little peculiar when you look at it. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And he spent his whole life confronting the Roman authorities speaking about the importance of loving your neighbor as yourself, trying to set the chief priests right and counteract the ways that they were perverting the Jewish religion. And so then when he's raised from the dead, you've got to think, now nothing's going to hold him back. He's going to march right up to Herod and say, let me tell you how it's going to actually be, Rome. Or he's going to go into the synagogues and talk to the chief priests and kick them all out and set everything right again. But instead, Jesus goes Beach camping. He's got to have a fish fry on the beach in order to raise money for the youth group or something. He has a fish fry on the beach. It's just so ordinary. And it seems so strange because the logical thing would be for Jesus to, after defeating death, to then take on some of the other really big problems in the world. But no, 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 no. He goes and has a fish fry on the beach. Now, Jesus' actions 
seem so strange and so ordinary. And that's probably what makes us uncomfortable. As I was saying in my introduction, we're not really comfortable with the ordinary these days. We like big and flashy and new, right? Your, your cell phone is out of date within six months of your purchase of it. And as I said, every single entertainment is just getting bigger and better and more expensive and flashy. We are not good at dealing with the moment. Not good with having something just be ordinary. Maybe even a little boring. And now I I want to admit, okay, church, you should know something. Your pastor is a millennial. Did you know that? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And they talk a lot about us millennials out there. I read the articles too. I hear the news stories about how us millennials don't like anything to be ordinary. We think that we're special and we're entitled and we're a little lazy as a result. But I want to point out that, that yes, I've seen that happen. And at least, I'm, at least your pastor is a self-reflective millennial. At least I try to be, okay? But, and what they all say is very true. I grew up always being told how special I was by my parents, by my teachers, by my coaches. I grew up going to field days and different, different competitions, and I always got a participation trophy of some sort. And the reason being, though, the reason that we started to act like this and treat our children like this is because we were so afraid of them being ordinary. No one ever wanted to hear that their child was ordinary. No individual wanted to hear that they were just average. And so we changed the way that we did things. It was the fear of the ordinary that led to all of this. But I wonder, as I see Jesus just having a fish fry on the beach, I wonder if the ordinary is the point. You see, Jesus spends his time after his resurrection doing very ordinary things. He shows up in an upper room and just shows them his scars. Breaks some bread, passes around the wine, just as he had done during his last supper. Jesus shows up on the beach, makes a fire, and eats fish with the disciples on a morning one day. There's nothing special or flashy or exciting about it, and yet it seems that maybe that's part of the point that Jesus is trying to make for us. Rather than going to Rome and toppling the authorities... Jesus is trying to teach us to love and hold sacred each passing moment of the day. Because Jesus knows, Jesus knows that even if he toppled Rome, there was going to be another empire that rose up after that. Even if Jesus set everything right with the Jewish authorities, eventually a sinful human being would come along and would pervert the Jewish religion again in other ways. Jesus knows that we as human beings don't get it all right all the time, but if we could learn... To just appreciate the moment. If we could learn to find the love of God in each ordinary second of the day, that that would change the world more than anything else. It's when we get so obsessed with things being special that real sin can take place. Empires arise because they think they're special and they have to try and prove their ego to the rest of the world. That's how dictators arise as well. They think they're important. They think they're above the law and that only what they say matters. And so as a result, they push everything aside. But if we could just be comfortable, all of us, 
with who we are and what we've been given right now, how much would that change the world? And so, Jesus does very ordinary things after his resurrection. And it's a reminder to us of how good this life is. God created the heavens and the earth and stepped back and said, it is good. Maybe it's not perfect. Maybe it's not splashy and special all the time, but it is good. And we fall into the trap again and again as Christians of trying to think about what comes next. We're so focused on getting to heaven when we die that this this life becomes a waiting room. Well, when is it going to be over? i got to get to the next part. But that misses the point about how holy and special and sacred and good this life is. Notice that Jesus died and didn't go straight to heaven. Jesus came back to this life to affirm how good this life is. And it's an invitation for us as well to recognize that yes, it's not perfect. Maybe it's not always going our way, but at the end of the day, because of what God has done, this ordinary life is good. Yes, it is. And so we're invited to see that the ordinary is sacred. That the boring is a blessing. That the day-to-day is okay. It is holy to be human because the ordinary is actually extraordinary by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, I know this to be true based upon also What happens to our guy, Peter? Remember, I told you to put him aside for a moment. But I want you to see the ordinary yet extraordinary thing that happens to him as he meets Jesus on the beach for the fish fry. Peter, as you'll remember, is probably going through something just based upon how he's asking. And it's strange because he has already seen the resurrected Jesus two times. Peter, what's going on? You know that everything's okay. Your rabbi died, but he came back. What is going on in your head? But you also have to remember the last thing that Peter did before Jesus died. Because on the day that Jesus died, Peter denied Jesus three times. Three times, just as Jesus had predicted. And so sure, Jesus came back from the dead, but I'm thinking that Peter is still locked up with shame and guilt over what he had done. Three times he pretended not to even know this man. But then Jesus comes along. They meet on the beach, eating their fish over the fire there. And they have a conversation, just the two of them. And you'll notice that Jesus asks Peter once, hey, do you love me? Then he asks him again, do you love me? And then he asks him a third time, do you love me? Jesus is giving Peter the opportunity three times. To redeem the three times that he renounced him before. And so it's ordinary. It's just a small conversation on the beach. But I've got to think that for Peter, that was the most important moment of his entire life. The moment that his sin and his shame was completely transformed and given new direction. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Well, then feed my sheep, Peter. And it's the same for us as well. Our redemption the putting of back together of whatever mistakes we've made, Jesus offers us that opportunity during every ordinary moment of the day. 
And it's not just a chance to put aside the past. It's a chance to redeem the past and have it become something new in us. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Well, then feed my sheep. Church, don't ever overlook the ordinary. There are moments where Jesus will show up. And more often than not, it's going to be something that you otherwise would have overlooked. Don't be wishing to be someplace else or with someone else, hoping for something better to happen. The ordinary and everyday is overflowing with God's presence and purpose and possibility. So let's get on with it, shall we? Find joy in the ordinary moments of every day because that is so often where Jesus is spending his time. Amen.